Let's say a quick prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, without your help our labor is useless, and without your light our search is in vain. Invigorate our study of your holy word that by due diligence and right discernment we may establish ourselves and others in your holy faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, uh, Tina and Nancy were helping me pass out some handouts. There are four of them all together um, in no particular order. So if you or the person sitting next to you has four handouts all together, you'll be in good shape. I I made 30 copies. I thought that there were not that many of you. Sorry. Next time, more. Um, There's one that's there's one that's really dark. It's got the it's the story from the Jesus Storybook Bible of creation, and then there's one that's several pages long. It says on the provocatively on the meaning of sex on the top, and then there's one by by Alice of von Hildebrand, one sheet, and then one sheet with just a lot of white space. Landscape that's by Jessica Valenti. Um, that one's by a fellow named, I don't know his first name, he goes by the initial J. His last name is Budzajewski. On the meaning of sex. Yeah. I, I was thought about bringing down all my books today just to show you what my, what my office looks like right now when people walk in. This is just one of the books. This is The Ethics of Sex. Um, <laughs> And then on top of this sits on the meaning of sex and then a whole bunch of other books that, because Pastor Nelson decided we're going to do this study, I've got a stack of books on my desk now. And when people walk into my office, they say, what's, what's wrong with him? But, you know, the interesting thing is, um, I, so we have, uh, it's been an occasion for me to, fi- to, to find a voice to talk more with, with less hesitation about sex. Yeah, well, and also think other things that are hard to talk about, right? Like, like womanhood. I mean, who am I to talk about womanhood, right? But here it's been, it's, so, and it's very helpful to just sort of overcome the hurdle because in not talking about things, we, fall, we capitulate often to the, the way that the world thinks about things. So that's why these are, this is, that's why I'm going to provoke you today, actually. That's my hope. Um, but first, let's just uh, fill me in on what's happened in the last two weeks. What are we talking about? Mary? Okay, that was last week, right? What about Mary? Okay. That sounds good to me. Um, Feminine attributes of God, what does that mean? Yes. Yeah. How about um, Ephesians? Ephesians, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of woman, right? Um, So what does that tell us about Mary's role in the history of salvation? Krista. Because I I mentioned it last time, Pope Paul, he maybe said Mary next, I'm sure he did. Um, it, so it, now that this is this is an important thing for us to think about, especially with the documents that you've got in front of you. There are going to be a lot of things that um, that we encounter that you react very viscerally to, things that are just downright wrong. Um, 
but they open up a way for us to think about things that maybe hasn't been isn't available to us otherwise. So it's so for fear of for, for fear of the divinization, for fear of turning Mary into God, um, we often don't talk about Mary at all. But here she is at the center of Scripture, right? Um, she is she is. Uh, um, What's, what's the, in the Annunciation, um, favored are you among women, right? Um, and in Ephesians, Paul tells us that Mary, as the archetype, the, the, well, the, in this case, the, the, the prototype of um, bearing God, right? The, the theotokos, you remember that word? Um, Mary informs us about a lot of things, about the role of the church, about what it is to be human, what it is to be woman, and also, most importantly, she tells us about Jesus. So if we say that Mary is the mother of God, what does that mean? How does that strike you? To just tell me, give me your reactions. Donna. Well, she, um, Right. So now, why wouldn't we say, why, why, why would it be um, wrong to say this? Jesus, Mary is the mother of Jesus. Jesus is God. But Mary, a human, can't be the mother of God. So Mary was not the mother of God. Well, God is the Spirit. And so, in a sense, you know, he doesn't have a mother. In a sense, he doesn't. In fact, right, he's unbegotten from eternity. Right? But, Holly? Well, but then you have to say that only parts of Jesus are human. Yeah, right. If Mary's not, if Mary's, say you splice things, you, you take Jesus and you dissect him, okay? And you say, here we've got half God, and here we've got half man. This actually makes things really easy to understand, Right? So Mary didn't give birth to the God part of Jesus. She gave birth to the man part of Jesus. The God part of Jesus didn't die on the cross because God can't die. Just the man part of Jesus. Right? Then, and exactly. So what's the sense of his dying? Um, or being born for that. It's, so here's, and here's, here's the answer that you might get. Well, it was purely symbolic, right? God condescended to um, become like us. To, to become very near to us. In fact, really near to us in the, so that he squished together divinity and humanity in, in one person, but not really. Right? It's that but not really which robs us of salvation. Because if he's not, if, if he's, so starting at the cross, if he's not God and man inseparably, then his sacrifice doesn't atone for the sins of the whole world. Right? And if he, so if he's not God... He can't, he can't sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. If he's not man, he can't forgive you and me, right? It's got to be. Then, then you go back to, so then we need to traverse the way all the way back to Mary, and you say, well, that must mean that what Mary bore in her womb was not something that was man with God tacked on, but God and man. So this, so uh, this way of talking about Mary and this way of re- sort of revering Mary is really important because, especially because it tells us about Jesus. Now this it ends up being a really sort of um, technical philosophical discussion that took place in the 
early ages of the church, um, the, the big questions that the church wrestled with early on were, how do we understand who Jesus is? Is he God or is he man or is he both or what? Does he have two natures? Does he have one spirit? Does he have one will? Does he have two wills? What, who is he? You have that question and then also the question of what's the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Um, are they three gods? Are they three manifestations of the same God? What are they? How do we talk about them? In both cases, we, the church finds itself in this position, saying things that are paradoxical and impossible. So, um, and this is an important thing, I brought this too close, an important thing to remember that in Christianity, when we talk about things that are beyond our comprehension, frequently, most often, we have to distinguish things without separating, without separating them. Okay, so you could think of Jesus as you got divinity and humanity, put them together like this. They're distinct, right? But they're also separable, right? You can't imagine what it would look like for my hands to be distinct but inseparable. You can't imagine it. It's a new, it's a new way of thinking. Same thing is true of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not like an apple, which has a core, uh, skin on the outside, flesh, and then a core on the inside. It's not like that. It's something different. Um, because they're, dis- they're, they're distinct but inseparable. Okay? You, couldn't, you can't have one without the other. You can have an apple without a skin. It's a skinless apple. You can't have God without the sun. Okay? Um, so you, so uh, this is really helpful... Um, just generally speaking, and this is going to be helpful when we talk about anthropology, when we talk about what it means to be man and woman. Because as you might imagine, when we talk about humanity, a lot of the time we have to say this very same thing. So body and soul, right? What, it, what are you if, you if we take your, your soul away from your body? Right? Well, you're dead. Right? <laughs> you're not living. Um, it's, it's, it it, it uh, is a... Destruction of your humanity. Um, what are you? Let's see. What happens if we say humanity can could consist of, of, of humanity consists of two separate sexes, male and female. What's wrong with that? We're not separate. Yeah, that's right. Humanity is male and female, right? It's not uh, this, this combination of two separable things. It's both things. It's a both and, right? And again, um, so it's, you see I'm doing this with my hands because I'm about to try and visually show you something that is not visually, visually perceptible, right? You can't. There's no analogy for it. It is what it is. It's its own principle. Um, but this is the way that, this is the way that things uh, frequently work for us when we talk about God and when we talk about humanity, okay? Now, I'm just going on and on, so let's back up for a minute. He talked about Mary. Um, what else? Just, just think back. Yeah, Martha. In Mary, um, I had written down that Mary's motherhood teaches us about Christ and her discipleship teaches us about Christian. Yes. Okay, so this is why Mary is a great, why Mary is, um, has a special place in the church. Because she is 
mother of mother of God, Theotokos. Not because now remember, do you remember when we did um, Jesus in film? There, there was this one point for me that was really uh, striking. It was when we talked about uh, the depictions of Mary in the nativity scenes. Right, Mary was sort of without uh, without any variation, uh, an innocent, pure looking. Person, right? If you were gonna, if you were gonna describe how she looked, she was pure, right? Um, but it was not because of her virtue, her purity beforehand, that God chose her. It was because of God's favor that she becomes the mother of God. Likewise, the faith that she displays when she says so in the document, um, John Paul talks about Mary's fiat, which which is Mary's words, let it be. Fiat is Latin for let it be. That's not the song from Frozen, is it? Okay, all right. Um, that's a Beatles song, yeah. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, in her, in her, because of the faith that's given to her, she says something impossible, right? Let it be to me according to your word. Right? That, I mean, that's discipleship in its purest form. Not because she was particularly resolute, but because God chose her, gave her that faith. So as, the, as one who was gifted by God, she's, she's a model for us of what it means to be Christians, what it means to be the church, what it means to be man and woman, right? Um, she, informs us, she informs men, too, about what it means to be man, um, because, because she, precisely because she tells us about humanity. Okay, um, and what else? Yes, Marilyn. We talked about our identity, that we don't decide it, God does. Perfect. Identity, we don't decide it, God does. Um, now, this, we're gonna, this is kind of what I'd like to get back to a little bit today. Um, because this is patently unpopular, right? Um, to, in the first place, um, just sort of in, in really... Um, in really crass ways, to have somebody else decide your identity is not popular. But also, here's, and here's the thing I want you to think about, and here's why I want to provoke you today. I think that um, you'll find that this is hard for us in even really subtle ways. And that the notion that we decide who we are uh, pervades a lot of the way we think about things that, that, that don't matter otherwise, that, that don't have a lot of it, you know, impact on our lives, um, but they're a sign of our underlying thinking. So, um, we're going to talk about that. Any, what else? What else did you talk about? It. It was, mo- it was identity and Mary. Those two things, right? The next section in the document is on the image, the image of God, male and female. He created them in the image of God. Genesis one and two. I think so. I think I'm going to leave that section of the text for. Pastor Nelson to talk about. We'll see if we if we um, if we get there. We'll talk about some of what John Paul says. But I want to I want to fill in from your own thinking a little bit um, what some of these things mean. So here's the first question for you to. Well, let's do this first. Pull out that sheet that has um, that's dark. That's got uh, clearly it was in color. Um, it's the creation story from Sally Lloyd Jones. Who is, by the way, she's always writing new books. So if you're looking for kids' books, 
she's always writing new ones. Um, okay, now I don't have, I didn't give myself a copy of it. So, can somebody read, can somebody read that for me? Okay, thank you. I'll read it then. Here we go. So, what I want you to listen for, this is the story of creation, uh, the creation of, ma- of, of man, of Adam and Eve. Um, think about it critically. Uh, what resonates with you? Is there anything that um, provokes you? Okay? Because this, this is not straight from the Bible. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. God loved them with all of his heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind and the trees, the wonderful song of love to the one who made them. Their hearts were filled with happiness, and nothing ever made them sad or lonely or sick or afraid. God looked at everything he had made. Perfect, he said, and it was. But all the stars and the mountains and oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them, always. Whatever happened, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was that the wonderful love story began. Now, um, I hope that in the course of this Bible study we'll get to talk a little bit about, I've been doing some reading on Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, which we just don't read it because it raises eyebrows. It's another one of those things sitting on my desk that people wonder, why is he reading that? And, but it's, it's a... It's a, it's a one way that it's uh, well described is as a series of love poems, right? Um, evocative love poems. But why is it in the Bible? It's because the Bible is a love story, right? Not unlike the uh, the, the the love stories that are analogs of that that we ha- that we experience in this life, right? The love between parents and children, the love between husband and wife. Okay. Um, so hopefully we'll get to that, but this, this, is, this is why this is particularly beautiful, I think, and an apt description of what's coming. It's a love story. The love story began. But tell me what you think. Yes, Carol. Well, I was struck by God loved them with all of his heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. Oh, isn't that great? It reminded me of an old movie Interesting. They realize later they're they're beautiful because they love each other. Yeah. Well, and this is I mean this is so one it's been this has been described I think helpfully as um, one way love right so um, love that love that uh, doesn't expect anything in return one love that loves its object because right um, and God God is gives us the the the, uh, the the model for that I mean so everything every every mode of love that we experience in this life um, is a shadow or ought to be 
a shadow of that, that one-way love where God loves us and we're lovely because he loves us, right? Um, it's, it's a wonderfully reassuring thing, isn't it? Um, okay, what else? Martha. To me, it, it, it was very certain, if you will. I mean, we adults, we take scripture, and you know, a lot of it is complex, and we don't understand it, and you know, our faith gives us belief. But this, you just read us like, oh, that's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. And there's, there's nothing to argue with. This is what happened. Their father, their father, yeah. them, and isn't it wonderful? Wouldn't it be nice if all scripture? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's and so so. Here's my pitch for why why reading Sally Lloyd Jones is helpful for everybody. Um, it's because she has taken the time, and she's not she's not like she's. I mean, she's a creative person, but she's she borrows a lot from other people too. And this is what we ought to do. Um, you know. Taking scripture, taking the stories that are important to scripture, and ask the question, um, how can I tell this story in a way that, um, that, that makes clear what the, the thrust of it is, makes clear what the, the whole story in scripture is? Surely. Also, how can she explain it? Yeah, right. Right, yep. Yeah, and, and the certainty is another, another great attribute, right? So, innocently gentle. Um, I mean, it's, it, to tell the story this way um, is helpful to tell the story to yourself, too, right? This is, so this is why when you read Scripture, you should, you should kind of wrestle with it and say, if the stories are not certain and not simple, you, like, like Jacob wrestling with the angel, don't let go until they bless you, right? Until you get out of them what, what you know God wants to give you from them. It, it, sometimes it's a lifelong wrestling match. And sometimes, I mean, if you were there in the chapel this morning, it was Psalm 90. I've been thinking about Psalm 90 a lot lately. It's all about how God, how we live life under God's wrath. Well, that's not very happy, is it? Um, but the, but the, point, the, the point of the, the psalm is this. It's really very, it's very beautiful. Um, if, if you know that you live your life um, under God's wrath, meaning that because you're a sinner, you deserve God's judgment, um, then you have eyes opened to receive the good things that God gives to you and gratitude to offer for the life that you have. And it leads you to pray to him. It leads you to pray to God. So Luther puts it this way. He says, when we're brought to, the, we're, when we're brought to um, terror because we're afraid of sin or death or anything, um, it's always a good thing because it's an invitation for us to pray, right? So when scripture terrifies you, when it confounds you because it's not certain, there is at least this blessing in it, that it is an opportunity for you to pray. Jody, were you going to say something? I like this sentence where she says he was like a new dad. Like a new dad, yeah. Ah. He used the word dad. Yeah. It seems more... It's really relatable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Krista. The Krista, I thought it's so wonderful that Jesus loves the women. What's that? That Jesus loves the women. Yes. 
Yeah, right. Okay, so now why does that stand out to you? In the in the, in that in the story. Oh, in the story. <laughs> I, 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 I can't tell you. Okay, no, right. It, 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 I think it does. I think it does stand out. Why? Why do you think that? What's that? Yeah, he names them both, right? Um, this is this is so the story begins here. It seems like it's continuing on. The previous page says something along the lines of God saved the best his best thing for last, right? So he breathed life into Adam and Eve. So they're both named. Now, uh, that means, and this is this is this is precisely the point. So hang on for a second, because this hopefully this doesn't hurt too much. But um, he loves them both, and that is a beautiful truth. What is missing from the story? Not yet. We're not there yet. But you're, you, that'll come, and that I wish we could. We should just study Sally Lloyd Jones' Bible story, right? What's missing? Yeah, right. So here's what I, here's one way to put it: in an effort to make sure that they are not separated, no distinction is made, right? So remember this: we're gonna we're gonna maintain this distinct, but not. Separable. So we, we want to make sure we don't separate things. Sep- A-R-A-B-L-E? Yes. Um, so we're not going to separate them because we want to say for sure, like Paul does in, uh, in Galatians, there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, right? Um, Coram Deo, before God, before God, they are equal recipients of his love. Now, that notion right there, as soon as you hear the word equal, um, that we're at the where where you risk losing the distinction. So where does the, the, the where would the distinction show up in the story, Holly? Uh, let's say you see it like the timeline. Yep. Chronos. How how does the timeline go? Okay. So very simply, chronologically, you have Adam, then. Okay. What happens? What happens in the intermediate time? He doesn't find the help Right. No helper. This is. So you'll talk more about this. I, I, again, I'll leave. I'll leave what John Paul says to Pastor Nelson. He talks about this extensively. But there's no help. Um, no help. Meat. Did you say that? Yep. Um, for uh, among the animals. Now, interestingly, um, the the way that it's written in the text is there was there was no there was found no helper. Uh, we say it in English, fit for him. The in um, in the Hebrew, it's more like um, describing something that's a mirror image. There was there was found among the animals nobody complementary to him. Nope, nobody that fit him. Like him, yeah. No. Uh, um, now, like is a, a, another deceptive word because we don't we don't mean the same, right? And we don't mean similar. The word is opposite. There was found nobody to sit across from him, right? There was found nobody to complete humanity among the animals. Okay. Now, 
here's the really, so this picture that's given, well, let, first let me, I'm, I'm curious to see where you, what, what you think. Krista, yes. Can you, can you just push the, the paper a little bit Okay. All right. Anything else? What else about, what do you think about, what else do you think about this uh, story? So, we have, so you're already on to, so it's a good thing. You like the good thing that uh, man and woman are described both as the objects of God's love. But you notice that perhaps, and it's, it's probably not deliberate. I don't, I don't suspect that Sally Lloyd-Jones is doing this to make a point. But I think, here's, here's what I want you to take away from it, is that um, it's easy to fall, it's easy to slip into separating, not, uh, avoiding, not, not distinguishing in order that we might not separate. That was a really unclear sentence. Making a big effort not to, dis- because we try so hard not to separate things, we don't distinguish them. There. Is that better? Um, okay, so do you remember in the so in when God creates everything, um, what does He say about it? And it was very yeah, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning and so on. Um, and we get that in this story. God looked at everything He had made, perfect. He said, and it was so. Now, interestingly. He doesn't say about everything that it was good. What's that? What does he What does he say isn't good? Yeah. So he, so notice how this this is just shatters this shatters everything right. So uh, it's good. He made the the lights in the sky and it was good. He made the earth and the plants and it was good. He made he made man in his own image and he was very good, but. It was not good, it was not good for man to be alone. And he, and, and so, now, if you were going to, if you were going to interpret that, what does that mean? It's not good for man to be alone. Um, how do you, what is that, what is just, something's missing. What is missing? Community. Yeah. Um. He's missing community, another um, church, right? Uh, you'll notice, and this will be really fun to talk about down the road, um, uh, one, there's one way of describing it as he was missing his liturgical partner. He was missing the person to say the antiphons with him, right? So the Lord be with you. Who was going to say, and with your spirit? Well, there's nobody to do it, right? Uh, because it, so the liturgy is a is a is a call and response. Um, yeah, Holly. So on the, on the reverse, uh, this thing about Mary, talk a lot about Mary. Yeah. Her empty womb and not having the um, you know she's the community without the head. I don't know. It's, it's not good for her for a woman woman to be barren without. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, so so here now, if you if you if you sort of distill this, um, tell me tell me how this. Uh, so sociologically, people are pretty comfortable saying, "Oh, it's not good to be alone," but ideologically, the way that especially in America, 
What's this? What are, what are our feelings about this? It, it's, it's all right. I'm my own person. I don't need anybody, or I shouldn't need anybody. Um, and we are victims of, I mean, we, we are victims of this, this way of thinking all the time. It prevents us, for instance, from receiving charity with gratitude, right? It's really, it's really hard to do. Um, to, to say, you know what, I can't do this on my own. I wouldn't be able to do this but for these people who just happen to be here, right? That's a terrible, that's a terrible feeling, right? I, cu- I couldn't survive unless there were these people who happened to be here. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to live like that. Um, but, that is, but that's a fact of humanity, right? If you think you can go it alone um, without, without a community, without the other, you're, you're, in, you're in trouble. Okay, we've got hands. Here we go, Jody. Um, and that brings my thought, dependence, where we don't want to be dependent on anyone. Yes. We need to be dependent on God. Right. To bring the obedience and to what we need to be doing. That's either an A or an E, depending on which one's right. You're right. Um, and, and so... Uh, so now here, here's this is this is a really important point because um, at its at its at at the base level dependence on God first commandment right you shall have no other gods who what is a god it's the it is from whom you receive all good things right well if you don't want to be dependent on anybody last of all you're going to be dependent on God if it's hard to be dependent on God well maybe you can be dependent on other people right but if that's even difficult. If you, can't, if, you, if you can't depend on other people, then you certainly won't be able to depend on God, right? And this dependence on other people, this mit, the, there's a nice German word for it, mitmenschlichkeit, being with other people, um, is, again, a reflection, an image of uh, our created nature, which is, which is God's image. Notice that God's not alone, right? It's not alone. Um, it, yeah, right. Let us make man in his own, in our own image, and then, of course, at the baptism of Jesus, you get every, everybody shows up. Um, okay, there were other hands. Jan. Having become a widow fifteen years ago, I became the opposite side. You are so used to after thirty-four years of being. Entity. Sure. And you have now become split. I mean, half your life is gone. And there's the community that you were in, the married couple community, is no longer your community. You have to find a new place and a new era because you are no longer the same community. Right. Some of us, it happens within a short period of time, and I have an aunt whose husband died two years after Ireland, and she has never found it because of her total dependence on my uncle. Those of us who have an identity in ourselves and with God, have an easier, at least I found, have an easier way to slide into our new role. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And let me, let me capitalize on that point because that is, that is, this is crucial. Um, there, it's easy. I just read an article recently about the, the religion of parenthood where you, where you say, where you take your kids and you make them everything and you invest, you invest your identity in the success of your kids, right? Where you can see it all over the place. It's not that the same thing happens with, with any other relationship, right? So, um, with friendships, with marriage, um, to see the, that this community, to see these communities, which God has created us for, as their own thing, as the end in themselves. But what are they actually? What do they draw us towards? Uh, the, the Trinity, their relationship with God, right? Um, so this is why, this is why uh, uh, parent-child relationships are so critical. Um, not because not because you can't you know grow up without your parents, right? But you can do that. You can it, it's uh, and and there you can be a, 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 a you know a demonstration of independence, right? But because it's not how God intended for you to exist in the world, having a, a loving father, right? Not just the man who was your father, but God who was your father. Same thing with with your marriage. Um, it's not that it's not that. Uh, your spouse is the end all. It's that your spouse is a picture of, your spouse creates this picture not just for you but for the world around you of how God, of how Christ relates to his church, right? Um, so, you know, that, it, it puts in perspective, and this from the very beginning puts in perspective why God put people together, right? Um, because he, he says of himself, it's not, it's not good to be alone. Right? And moreover, it's not good. It's not. It's not good just to be together in a certain, in a random way, with other people who are like you. But it's good to be with your complement. Right. Finally, because this is how the church relates to God, to Christ. Um, okay. Carol. You had commented on how difficult it is to receive charity. And um, I'll just keep trying to get it. Now we are all poor in different ways. We are all poor. So what I was thinking in, in that two things. One, there is by God's grace you can get there, there is a, a, a joy in being the recipient of something. I mean, here, whether it be just meals for something or something else, um, there's a, a joy in it. Ever something my dad said many years ago, uh, I wanted to do something one time, and he was talking, and his first reaction was, no, um, we can pay for it when we come. And then he said, no, doing that deprives me of the gift of doing something for them. And, and I think of that, that receiving something from somebody else is giving them the gift of doing something. Yeah. So that, in fact, um, at the end, at, at, at the 
once, once, it, once something has been given, once a gift has been given, both the giver and the one who's received it have, an, have reason to thank God, right? Um, and which, which, is fin- which is finally the, the, the posture of faith. So we, I, if I give you something um, and, uh, and my, my posture afterwards is not to thank God for that, um, then I've not acknowledged that he gave me what I had to give to you. Or that in giving something to you, I was giving something to Christ. Um, and likewise, when you receive something, it's uh, an opportunity to thank God that, um, that you've been put in this position to need, to need things. Just like, in fact, yeah, just like, in fact, I mean, so do you think about, uh, so I, uh, think about Christ being the child of Mary, no more needy position than being an infant, right? Um, and, but he, and it was a blessing. It was a blessing for him and for Mary that God, that God would humble himself to that position. Uh, even more so for us who, who, who uh, need manifold things, right? Who are lacking in every way. Okay. Where, where are you going here now? Let's see. Um, so, okay, so, any questions? Yeah, Krista. If I just can ask, you know, we, we always forget, because Mr. we study, study, study Mary, but Joseph. Oh, yeah. Joseph had, you know, he was the one who just um, uh, uh, took care of Jesus. That's right, yeah. I mean, the, so in, in Matthew, Joseph is, Joseph is a model of faith. There's no equal to him in, in Matthew because he 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 goes to sleep, uh, having resolved to divorce Mary quietly, and the angel speaks to him, and he wakes up and just reverses course, no questions asked, boom, he does it, um, which is I mean, pray to God for that kind of faith, right? That's <laughs> that's why that's why we hold those examples before us, yeah, Mary and Joseph. Good. What else? Any other questions? Okay. So uh, let's do this. Um, so just to, uh, by way of summary, when you think about, so uh, I wanted you to see this because I wanted to see how, I wanted you to see how um, subtle it can be, the temptation to not distinguish in an effort not to separate. And that's true when we talk about male and female. But you can't do it in the story of creation because it's explicit in the story of creation that they are distinct, though inseparable. Right? That it was not good for man to be alone, that humanity consists of, not two, think, not two um, separate sexes, but two distinct and inseparable sexes, male and female, right? Which means that God, that God loving them equally intends different things for them, right? Um, and this is, hence, hence our conversation about womanhood in the first place. Okay, now let's see, um, let's do this next. Okay. Jessica Valenti. We're just going to do this. Okay. The sheet of paper that has a lot of white space on it. We, so it, when Pastor Nelson and I started talking about this Bible class, he had been reading um, good John Paul on man and woman, and I had been reading uh, Jessica Valenti um, who, on, on parenthood. And she's, so she has, she has an interesting position that she takes. She, she's a um, pretty, pretty well-known credentialed blogger, 
um, who, writes about, who writes about feminism in America. Um, and she had a, has a book that is, has, a, again, a very evocative title, The Purity Myth. Did Pastor Nelson tell you about this? The Purity of Myth. Why, it's something like, um, why the virginity movement in America is hurting young women. Which is, you know, okay. So you, so you kind of have to read the book, right? Because, like, wow, I wonder, I wonder how that works. Um, now, the, the, the question for me, the question that I was trying to answer in, in, in engaging what she's writing is, so what's the thinking, what's the underlying thinking? How can you, because such a conclusion is just totally foreign to, to, to my mind, but she is, she writes, she has a full book on it, so there, she's, not, and she's not stupid, so what's the thinking behind it? I gave you an excerpt from, just from the beginning of her book, the introduction, before she even gets uh, very far. Can I have a copy? Can I borrow? Sorry. Let me just read this to you and tell you what it says. And I want you to, so I'm, I'm reading this to you to, to get your reactions. Both, both, both good and bad. My reasons for wanting to write this book aren't entirely altruistic, however. I was once that teenage girl struggling with the meaning behind my sexuality and how my own virginity or lack thereof reflected whether or not I was a good person. I was the cruelly labeled slut, the burgeoning feminist who knew that something was wrong with a world that could peg me as a bad person for sleeping with a high school boyfriend while ignoring my good heart, sense of humor, and intelligence. Didn't the intricacies of my character count for anything? The answer, unfortunately, was no, they didn't. It was a hard lesson to learn and one that too many young women are dealing with nationwide. So you can see, you can see uh, uh, sort of the, the, the basis of her thinking already right there. What, how, what are your reactions? And, I, and I, I, now, in both directions. There are, good, there are good things and bad things about what she's saying. So tell me what you got. Yeah. Sure. Right. So yeah, yeah. So so the thing that she objects to, and tell me what you think about this. The thing that she objects to is being labeled or identified or or having her identity um, sort of fo- foisted upon her based on her sexuality. Uh, what do you think about that, Krista? Yes, I think the, the society today is, um, is more that um, you should be open. Okay, right. Yeah, so, so and this is, this is uh, her point, precisely. Um, it shouldn't be, her sexuality shouldn't be the source of our identity, right? Um, whether or not she slept with her high school boyfriend shouldn't, shouldn't tell people whether she's a good or a bad person. Um, is she saying that, or is it just that in and of itself? I mean, I, I, I read this and I think, wait a minute, you're looking at, well, it's not a 
yes. Yeah. There's more to me. Right. Now, which, am I this part? Am I this part? Or am I something? Perfect. Yes. Okay, so what we've got is, like Paul, like Paul says of the church, you are many members, right, all with different functions, um, and you can't, take, you, you can't dissect them, otherwise we don't have the body, the church. But she's, she's looking at her sexuality and saying of it, this does not define me. But there are things that do define her. What are they? Yeah. Humor, intelligence, heart. Okay. Now, um, what is the difference? What's the categorical difference between sexuality and, which is inherent in her gender, right? And humor, intelligence, and heart. What's the difference between those things? Yeah, right? So, um, look at look for a second at uh, there's this, this packet that's got three pages um, on the meaning of sex. Turn just to for a second to um, so stay on page 37. I'll tell I'll tell you what's happening here. Pages 36 and 37. Budzajewski, who's a professor, is describing a conversation he had with a student, a student who was reacting against um, classical writers who seem to indicate that men and women are different. And he responds by saying, well, maybe they are different, and she's arguing with him. And um, so then on page, let's see, 38, top of page 38, it really comes, the, the point boils down. By now, Carissa was thoroughly exasperated. Hurling down her trump card, she exclaimed, I know that men's and women's bodies are different, but in their brains, they're just the same. Right? Which, so, so why make that point? Why is that? Why is that? Uh, why does that matter? What's behind that thinking? Do you think that? Okay, it's one part of the right. Okay, one part of your person, Holly. Yeah. Thank you. This marker doesn't work. Distinct but inseparable, right? So, what does that mean? If you want to say, I am not identified by my sexuality, then what, all, what else must you say? I'm not identified by... And then, then what are you identified by? Okay. It, now, does that, does that hold? This is, this, is sort of, this is one way of critiquing it. Does that way of thinking, does that argument hold? What do you think? There are identity. My We'll leave, we'll leave the question mark there for a second, okay? Yeah. Well, in fact, they found that women's and men's brain don't exactly like right.
Right. Yeah, so, um, so, you, so, that, so you can't say that, the, that, brain, that brains are the same because if science has proven neuroscience shows that they're, just, they're not. But what, what, now, Krista doesn't really mean, like, physically the brains are the same, nor does Jessica Valenti. What, did, what really is she, are they, they getting at? What do they want to preserve um, as, indistingu- as indistinguishable? Yeah. Right. Right. So, so the so the the question is one of equality, equality of equality of what? Equal in term, equal in what terms? Not just not just in terms of what you can do. Um, if if you're trying to assert equal equality of what you can do, what is that finally after, Cindy? Worthiness. Good. Um, nobody's better. Good. Um, goodness. Autonomy. Perfect. So here you have the, this list of now already. This is we're getting. I wish we could just talk about this for a long time, but we're going to have to pick this up later. So here you see this list of these are values, right? Equality, worthiness, the big question with worthiness is worthy in whose eyes, right? What, who determines worth? Goodness, um, notice that, that Jessica Valenti is already has this moral system in place, right? Where um, being humorous is a good quality, is a quality of goodness. Being kind to other people is, is, has moral character. But she says explicitly, sexuality has no moral weight whatsoever, right? So whether or not she sleeps with her boyfriend doesn't, doesn't carry any moral weight, Right, um, so she's already has this moral hierarchy in place. Um, autonomy is another value where you want to you want to um, make decisions for yourself. Yeah, Jody. And equality in society. Okay. The world, you know, like we, like women and men should be treated exactly the same, do the exact, you know. Yeah. And when. In real, reality, our brains are made differently because we have different roles in the world. Right. We do have different roles. Right. We have different... It, it, so, okay, and this is, this is perfect. Um, so, equality in society, where, so, so this is one way of measuring worthiness, is by how you're treated by the world, how you're regarded by the world, how you're regarded by other people. Um, and this is, this is, I mean, this is one thing that bugs us to no end, just generally speaking, right? What's the, what's the plague of being in middle school is... Um, not being, not being liked by all your peers, right? Being regarded as nothing by your peers. Same thing in high school, right? It was just worse in middle school for me. So um, the, there's that, that sort of equality, that notion of worthiness being determined by your peers um, is uh, really important to us because here you get at the root of anthropology. This is what it means to talk about people, to talk about humanity. At our root, we need to establish our worth. We need to justify ourselves. There's the theological term, to justify ourselves. So finally, um, everybody's trying to assert equality, not just in these attributes, not just in these values, but equality in terms of their humanity, right? So it gets back to this problem of separable, uh, distinct but not separable. So in an effort to say that we are all human... You, end, you risk saying we are all the same. Because it's really important to say that we are all human. 
In fact, uh, that point does not escape um, any of the writers of the Bible from beginning to end, right? Um, male and female, he created them. Um, all the way to Paul, in, in that there's neither male nor female. Um, and Paul, who says some other provocative things about men and women, which we'll, we'll get to another time. Um, but you see, what I, you see what I'm getting at here? This is the underlying thinking behind what Jessica Valenti says. It's very appealing because we know that this is true. Um, and even as Christians, especially as Christians, we, we insist on this, that before God, in, in God's eyes, we are all the same. We're all sinners redeemed by Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. No difference whatsoever. And that is, in fact, the most important thing in our lives. But in saying that, um, we run the risk of failing to distinguish, of, of losing the distinction between man and woman. So just because um, we are all eschatologically, in view of the end, the same in God's eyes doesn't mean that we are all the same uh, in this society, in this world, in this community. Oh, nor does it mean that God didn't create us to be that way. So, um, let me pull this all together here. Is this, making, is this making sense? Okay. So what I want you to come away with is um, a, a, critical, a critical lens to th- start thinking about, um, start evaluating the way you think about things that are really important, like, like equality and worth and goodness and autonomy. Start thinking about those things and ask yourself the question, um, what am I finally after when, I'm, when I hold these things to be valuable? And am I, uh, am I, am I, dis, am I separating and, am I, ugh, I can't get it right. Am I not separating and thereby also not distinguishing? Right? Uh, yeah, Rachel. Right. That seems so wrong to me. Like, you know, women are amazing because we're women. Right. Because, you know, yeah. We're different in a lot of ways, and that's a great thing. Yeah. Take, take a look at, real quick, the, uh, the quotation from Alice von Hildebrand. She makes this really re- remarkable observation, just like what you're saying. She says, she talks about secularism, sort of the, one of the plagues of the 20th century. She says that um, it... Has its first victim in finds its first victim among men when it says that to be good, to be successful, to be human, to be fully human is is to measure yourself in terms of your accomplishments and work, right? Success, money, regard, power, um, status. You get those things um, in line, and then you then you are then you have established your identity, right? Which is which is utterly wrong. It's a, it's a false religion. It's an idolatry. Um, but then notice what happens. When we say that that's what it is to be human, right? That's what it is to be human. Then necessarily what follows is that everybody needs to aspire to the same, to bow down before the same God, right? Um, this is really an interesting observation that, um, that we, we, we fall victim to... Um, whatever the values, whatever the reigning values of the day are, 
Martha. Well, and even in her statement about if women too should enter the workforce, prove themselves, blah, 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 showing that they were their equals and when given opportunities, could outsmart them, that's the opposite of love. Right. That's not how we love. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and if so, then, so, so then it is to say, that, it, that point of view is to say, we have a false distinction between men and women. There's a false distinction that exists in this world. Men and women aren't different. Let's demonstrate that, right? We need to demonstrate that they're not distinct, um, which, is a, which is a fool's game, and it's not love, right? Um, which isn't, of course, I mean, of course it isn't to say um, that, it, it, none of this is to say that, uh, that, for instance, women working is, is like, um, is anything, it, the, the point is not about women working. The point is not about accomplishing things. The point is about the, the thinking behind, the, re, the rationale for the push towards these things. If the push is to, um, to rid yourself of distinctions, to prove equality, to demonstrate um, th- that you can outsmart anybody, it's not, it's not love. Yeah. Well, it, it reminds me too of like when you're junior high, high school, you know, and your parents are like, don't you like this guy? And you're like, just because they suggested it, you're like, no, don't. So, <laughs> so, like, you do, you're like, you just do the opposite. Right. So it's like, and you don't realize that actually you're being defined by what your parents say, and maybe you're not doing what they say, but you're reacting but in the exact opposite. But they're still defining who you are, and that's exactly what women are doing with men. It's like, oh, you say I can't work. Yeah. It's like clothes is the option of staying home with your kids because you want to. That would be like too oh, like that's, that's too easy. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Now, and this is so this presents so here here's here uh, let me again, let me try and pull this all together. So, um you see in you see in Genesis, you see in um in the way that uh the way that Jessica Valenti talks about um, her identity, that it's really important to maintain the distinction and not separate. And that the risk that happens when we, the, the danger of, not, of uh, not distinguishing manifests itself in lots of different ways. Presently, it's very different than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, right? I mean, the, 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 hey buddy, the, the question of women in the workforce is not, is not a question anymore, Right? It's not, it's not, um, that's not the question of, uh, of value right now. Um, but, the, but the values that we hold that underlie these sorts of discussions, that underlie the distinction between men and women, um, it, it's, it's still pushing. Go ahead, Holly. So again, so 
So uh, it's a really good question, and there's two two answers that I would give to it. One is um, you, that you have to you have to work really hard to understand where other people are coming from, right? This is why reading Jessica Valenti, painful though it may be, um, is helpful, um, and and reading her critically and um, and uh, sort of fa- fairly is really important. The other thing is to then is to go back to the question of who determines the worth of your womanhood, right? Um, who determines the worth of your humanity? Um, doesn't matter what anybody else says. Uh, you think about, um, I mean, so not to, this is not some legalistic exhortation, but you think about what it meant for Mary to say, let it be to me, right? All of the, all of the, um, shame that goes along with that, just because of the way people thought, right? Just because of the way people thought about the world. Um, the reason why it's so hard is because it's not a surface thing. It, 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 it uh, presents as a surface issue, right? Do you or do you not think this about women? Do you or do you not think that, we're, that, that everybody's equal? Well, of course you do. It's, but it's not the, that's, there's a, a deeper issue, a deeper way of thinking that people don't realize that they, that they fall victim to, right? Um, now, it's just, it's a, in a lot of ways, it's a test of relationships as to whether or not you can even talk about the things that really underlie. Because when you, as soon as you, as soon as you start to dig deep about why, you know, the reasons for, um, the reasons for the things that people take for granted, um, you expose a lot. And nobody wants, nobody wants to be exposed. So, uh, there's a non-answer for you. Um, yeah. I mean, don't be, so this is just, I speak not by the command of God. Um, don't, be af- don't be afraid to, to say kindly, and charitably and generously that things are that certain things are true and other things are false not to, not to say that that that, that um, there is truth and falsehood is to is to capitulate is to because finally finally uh, what we're up against is um, a lie is lies lies that are um, Masquerading as truth, and when you live in a world where lies can um, have equal weight as truth, um, the only way that the only way that you can sort of make headway is by asserting the most unpopular thing, which is that there's right and wrong, some things are good and some things are bad, that things are that and and that they're endowed with their goodness not because we say, not because we decide, but because God gives them their goodness. Um, you're going to sound like a fanatic when you say that, um, but it's but it's the only way to it's the only way to talk, um, because because again, the alternative is to capitulate. The alternative is to just to concede the point, right? Now I don't. There's no. I have no advice for how to how to do that. <laughs> um, they, they are yeah, Marilyn. I think women in my generation were shamed because they didn't stay home with their children. Mm. So it's there no matter what. Yeah, right, exactly. And I think 
there's many women, young women who are missing here. They're probably, a lot of them, working. And we don't know their circumstances. And I know that Holly's really talking about women who say bad things about women who stay home. I wanted to stay home, but I couldn't. So I think that, um, and in the long run, it all worked out. And the Lord does love us all. And I think we have to remember Absolutely. And the women who are the feminists who are so violent, it was like what women faced. You know? Oh, yeah. You don't need a big salary because you're, even in our Lutheran schools, we paid the women a pittance. If, even if they were single, they had to maybe live with a family in the church. We paid them nothing, and then the men were paid more because they had a family. And you understand it, sort of, but... Yeah. You look at it and you say, you know, why did my first grade teacher have to live with another family in their home, in a bedroom? Sure. And that was all she had. Yeah. So she could teach me. Right. So, so um, which, is a, which is a great point. I mean, you should, so what you should do is you should take, you should take the, the, this is, the, again, it goes back to reading, reading Jessica Valenti fairly and calmly. Um, because it's usually the premises that lead to it's it's all, false premises can lead to true conclusions by by unsound reasoning, okay? Um, and it's usually it's it's usually not an argument. The argument is not usually as it presents itself. The disagreement is not usually as it presents itself because of course, of course, right? Um, it's un it's unjust. It's unfair. Um, it's it's abusive to uh, to pay women less for doing the, the same work as men, right? It's just a, just a matter of fact, right? But there's something, but there's a question, but the the reasons why that happens and the reasons why people object to it are different, right? They're varying reasons. Um, again, this assertion this assertion of equality, this assertion of which says um, we're n- we're not going to separate. And so we're also not going to distinguish. That's that's the risk. That's the risky thing. Um, and it, but it, but again, I'm, I'm repeating myself now. But it's it's also eminently unpopular, right? So you're saying something that nope, that people can't hear. You're saying something that, that people don't understand. You're saying that Jesus is God and man. Good luck with that, right? Um, but at least at least think at least think clearly about it. At least know know the know the reasons why you you think the things you do. Okay, we should go. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.